Hey, good morning, everybody. So the year's 1993, and a young man named O'Shea Israel shoots and kills a 20-year-old boy named Larnum Bird. Israel is sentenced to 25 years in prison for second-degree murder. His, the mother of the victim is now sentenced to a life without her son. As Bird's mother, Mary Johnson, sat in the courtroom and saw the man that killed her son, she began to fill up with anger and resentment, but she was conflicted because Johnson was a Christian and she felt compelled to forgive this man. And in that courtroom on that day, she forgave him despite the bitterness that was kind of starting to well up inside of her. But that anger really never subsided. And so one day, after years of dealing with this, Mary Johnson took some action. She set up a meeting between her and O'Shea Israel in the Minnesota facility of corrections in Stillwater, Minnesota. As they sat down, she remembers saying this, I don't know you, and you don't know me. You didn't know my son, and he didn't know you. So I think it would be time for us to lay down a foundation so we can get to know each other. The conversation proved to be very healthy for both Israel and Johnson. She got to talk about her son, and he admitted to his wrongdoing, and through his tears, he begged her again for her forgiveness. And then he asked for a hug. And as Israel was being escorted back to his jail cell, Mary Johnson sat in awe of what just happened. She said, I just hugged the man that killed my son. And that's not what she just fully reflected on. She also said, and I knew that in that moment that all of the anger, all of the resentment, and all of the bitterness that I had built up over those 12 years was gone. Fast forward to today, in 2010, Israel was released from jail. The two remained very close. Mary Johnson would call uh, O'Shea Israel her spiritual son, and she hopes to see him graduate from college and maybe someday walk down the aisle, something that she would never be able to see her biological son do. In January, Mary Johnson got married, and O'Shea Israel walked her down the aisle. Crazy engaging when you read a story of forgiveness like that. I'm sure that you have read and heard stories of forgiveness that go beyond our human logic of somebody's ability to forgive somebody. This week I was reading over stories of forgiveness, trying to, to build a plan to kind of get through this parable. And, and as I would, I would read them, I, I would look at the comments at the bottom. I don't know why I do that, but I do. And and I was shocked about the number of negative comments that I saw in stories that were connected to forgiveness. There are people who think of this idea of forgiveness in this way as idiotic, silly, and even dangerous. They do not like it. And so it proved to me that forgiveness was a more provocative issue than I thought it once was. And not only is forgiveness provocative, but it has some profound and good questions that surround it. So today, we want to navigate through this story, this parable in Matthew 18 about the unforgiving servant, and we want to understand it in a way that brings some tools to us in understanding and perspective in this area of forgiveness that might help us to have some rhythm in life in this area. What I want to do is to try to divide this into four different learnings today that will hopefully benefit us in this course of forgiveness, and then to end our time together today. Uh, I want to celebrate as a family what God has done for us in his forgiveness as we come together around the table in communion. 
So this, this idea of forgiveness is something that we're well aware of. Scripture speaks a lot of forgiveness. Uh, we, to some degree or another, know uh, that we are to be forgiven by God for our sins. Uh, and we know that when we trust and believe in Jesus Christ, that our sins and our shortcomings are absolved. But when it, t- when it comes to taking that forgiveness and applying it in our lives, in our everyday in our interactions with people, we imperfectly practice it. And so today I want to address both sides of the spectrum of forgiveness. I want us to leave here with a better understanding of what exactly we are forgiven for. And then I want us to understand the importance that that role of forgiveness plays in our lives, in our forgiveness towards other people. And so the avenues of forgiveness that I want to jump in today uh, aren't nece- it's more in the area of giving forgiveness than, than acquiring forgiveness from somebody. So recently I've been asking a lot of people about this issue of forgiveness, asking what's the essential parts of forgiveness? Like, what does forgiveness mean? And I've learned that this isn't as simple of an answer as I thought it once was. There is a complexity to forgiveness. And so let me just enter you into that conversation. If I was going to ask you the question, how do you forgive somebody? What would you do? Let that question echo in your head. How do you go about forgiving somebody? Is it just saying like, hey, I forgive you, and moving, moving past it? Is, it? is it more of a, uh, I'm just going to deflect this situation and push it away? I don't even want to deal with it. I'm going to ignore it and pretend that it's not there. Is it resolving the conflict? Or maybe you're like, dude, I just don't forgive people. I will hold on to that thing for the rest of my life. And so there is such a wide understanding in forgiveness that I thought would be important for us today to establish some sort of a definition of forgiveness that we'll use as our baseline in coming into this topic today. And so when I read the word and I want to understand God's heart, this is the definition of forgiveness that I find. Forgiveness is a willingness for somebody to lay down one's right for resentment, judgment, and revenge and a picking up of a posture of prayer and grace towards those who have harmed us. So it is a laying down of one's right for resentment, judgment, and revenge, and a picking up of a posture of prayer and grace. So let's just say what it is. This is a deep, profound transaction in our lives. Forgiveness takes more than just our words. And so as we enter into this area today, I want to be wise and upfront with you and say, look, look, I know that there are people in this room who by the hands of others have been hurt in a way that is both gutless and tragic. And I am not going to sit up here today and pretend that I know everybody's story. I want to know your story, but I don't. And so I am not going to come up here and make blanket statements that says, you need to get past whatever is in your life, and you need to forgive somebody. What my hope to do today is to give you some tools and understanding and perspective that might help lead you into a life where forgiveness is your reality. Because listen, friend, there is not just freedom for those who are we forgiving in that situation. There is freedom for ourselves in forgiveness. And so let's pick up the word together. We'll jump into Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, and read the parable of the unforgiving servant. It says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. 
When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii and seized him. He began to choke him and say, pay what you owe me. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that they had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father would do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so what is always wise when we walk in these area of parables is to kind of discern some of the words and the imagery that we see present in here. Peter starts out this discussion with a guided question about forgiveness. He says, Lord, how many times should my brother sin against me and I forgive them? Should it be seven? And Peter, if you know Peter at all, I feel like he's trying to be, he's pretty righteous with this, okay? Seven's a lot of times to forgive somebody. Seven times, Lord, is that what you're talking? Because we know that like one strike, two strike, three strikes, you're out. We would confess, but seven seems noble. But Jesus probably just blows his mind when he gives us the answer here. What does he say? Not seven times, but 70 times seven. That's an unfathomable number to forgive somebody. That literally is 490 times. 490 times that we should forgive somebody. Now, the idea here is not to actually give us a number that we can gauge our forgiveness on. It's there that we would understand that forgiveness is not something that we should count as believers. That true disciples of Christ will walk in forgiveness as long as we're on this side of eternity. The numbers aren't there for quick reverence that when Timmy gets on your nerves, like, this is 34th time that Timmy's done this to me. He's got another, what, 400 and it's not there for that. It's there to remind us that forgiveness has no limits for those of us who love Christ. And then Jesus jumps into this parable. And last week we had a parable where we had a master and a servant. This week we have a king and a servant. And so understand this. When Jesus is speaking about the king here, this is Jesus. Jesus is the king in the story. And just like last week, the servants in the story, those are us. Those who follow Christ. So Jesus is the king. The servants are us. It's important that we know that going forward. And so for this parable, I thought it would be wise that we divide this into four different areas of learning that hopefully will help us have some better understanding of the story, the parable, and also in the area of forgiveness. And so in the beginning, we see this king forgiving a sizable sum that the servant has racked up. What prompted the king to release this man from his debt? In the Bible, it records that because of his mercy, the king's mercy, he absolves him from his charges. It was because of the servant's pleas. And so the king looks down at the servants and recognizes his humanity and absolves him and releases his subject from his, his, his debt. He, he forgives them. It wasn't necessarily just out of the goodness of the king, although this is a good king, but it was out of his compassion. Obviously, the king is not lacking in anything if he was able to release this man from this kind of debt. 
He was absolutely not operating in any deficiency, but the same cannot be said for you and I. We are like this servant. And so we possess a type of humanity and brokenness that despite our best efforts, we fail ourselves. Like we let people down, and it's unfortunate, but we do. Whether it's through something that we do or what we say, we, we, we don't live up to what we hope we would be in every situation. And so the first learning that we have to understand with this is that we have to let our hearts and minds see the same brokenness that plagues us in the people that we interact with. The king has forgiveness for the servant, and doing so, he releases the servant from meeting the expectations that he has for this man. I wonder how many of us have dealt with unforgiveness in our lives because somebody didn't live up to the expectations that we might have for them in our conversations, in our actions, in things that they have done. And I think what this parable would teach us is that we have to be the type of people that are comfortable giving and forgiving and giving grace even if our expectations aren't fully met in that situation. For instance, a few months ago, I was riding my bicycle from work, and I was on Wiley Street, and just riding down, and this van just kind of swerved at me, and just pushed me to, to like the curb, and I had to put my feet down and like settle myself so I didn't fall over, and the car just scooted past me, and I was like, hey, what's going on? One of those things, and I just felt myself getting angry, and what is this guy doing? And then my brain reminded me, as it does at times, of the times that I was careless behind the wheel of the numerous times that I had made mistakes when I was driving. And I thought, am I willing, really going to be angry and judge somebody over something that I failed to do in my own life? And so in most situations with people, we have to allow them to have some grace in their brokenness as well. That we don't want to judge people based upon a standard that we're not willing to judge ourselves on. Don't always believe that your expectations need to be met in a certain way as you deal with people. You wouldn't want that for yourself, would you? And so know this, that the people that you deal with would be everything that you hope they would be, if not for the fact that we are living in a fallen world with broken people, with broken and busted hearts. They would be everything that you hope they would be, except for their brokenness. Paul writes in the book of Romans that we who are strong are obligated to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. That we are to bear with the failings of the weak. Jesus Christ has a profound ability to look past the brokenness in people's lives. A profound ability to love and minister to people at their core and not be intimidated by the symptoms of sin that are ranging in their life. We see this in a beautiful example in John 8 when Jesus is given, uh, he, he comes across an adulterous woman and he has mercy and grace on her. Jesus Christ on the cross after he was crucified and tortured with his torturers below him, dividing up his garments, cries out to the Father, what? He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Christ understood that there was a brokenness that was innate in them that they could not understand fully what they were doing. So, so look, you have to understand that people will fail to meet your expectations. Your husband will, uh, your, your wife will, your kids will fail to meet it. You, your neighbors and strangers will fail to meet your expectations. Your church friends will fail to meet your expectations. I will fail 
to meet your expectations, but also remember this, you most certainly will fail to meet your own expectations. And are you willing to judge somebody on something that you're not willing uh, to judge yourself on? So, this doesn't mean that we don't tell people the truth, that we can be truthful in the gospel and give grace at the same time. They're not walking contradictions. We can be truthful and graceful at the same time. It doesn't mean that we don't say that we are hurt in that situation. It doesn't even mean that we don't hold expectations for people. We do. But it just simply means that at some point we would release those people from their inefficiencies in life and that we would move past it together. The second thing that I think we pull out of this parable in the area of forgiveness is that there is an expectation that we would demonstrate the forgiveness that we have received in our own lives. That we would demonstrate the forgiveness that we have received. When you understand the scale, I laugh at the scale of the debt that this servant had accumulated, you begin to realize how much this debt this servant was released from, but not only that, how good and generous and gracious that this king is. And as you read this parable and you heard the amount, and if you remember anything that we talked about last week in this area, you probably began to put together, this is a sizable sum. We said last week that one talent represented somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 years working wage for a common laborer. 20 years working wage, that's one talent. And he owes how many? 10,000 talents. That is a huge number. And I'm sure there's some engineers or some math people trying to put this into context. This is what it would look like, all right? In this modern day, in Wells County, the per capita income of an individual is somewhere around $25,000. If you would take that by 20, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of $500,000. That would equal one talent. And then you take that number by 10,000 and you get a number of $5 billion. And that's not even factoring in inflation. There are many experts that says that sum is somewhere in the trillions of dollars. And look, that's just looking at it as a monetary value. Work would have been associated money a lot more than it is today. 10,000 talents would have represented somewhere in the neighborhood of 200,000 years of labor. This is not a debt that this man can pay. It's not, um, it's not a debt he can pay. And so when you understand that this king has reprieved a $5 billion debt, you have to consider who in the world is this king? What kind of resources does he have? What kind of wealth does he have that he can say to a $5 billion debt? Okay, we'll call it good. I want to be with that king, right? Has no, no problem forgiving that. And so when you understand that this parable is about Jesus being the king and we are the servant, it is set to remind us that we too have a debt that we cannot pay. That our sin and our disobedience had put us with odds with God. That we by our human actions could never be good enough for God. We would never be able to earn a right relationship with him. But just like the good and gracious king in this servant or in this parable that forgives his servants, We have a good and gracious God who forgives us. And so, brothers and sisters, I ask you, do you know how much you have been forgiven for? Do you understand the scale of what you have been forgiven for? You had a debt that you could never pay on your own. But our king, out of his great compassion for us, forgave that debt through his son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for us. And we are to remember that forgiveness in our life as we interact with the people around us. In Matthew 6, as Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he says this in his prayer. He says, Father, forgive our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. Father, forgive me as I forgive others in my life. And this principle is fully on display here in this parable between the king and the servants. Because of the king's forgiveness for this servant, there is an expectation that this servant would operate in the same manner of forgiveness, but he doesn't, right? What happens? This servant leaves, and I don't know what the scale of time between his forgiveness and him going into this town. It seems pretty close. He forgets pretty quickly, and he grabs one of his peers by the throats and demands him to pay his cash. He's owed 100 denarii. We know this from textbooks that that one denarii would have been what a common laborer would have received at the end of one day in this time. So this is 100 days of labor. This is a third of a salary of a servant that this guy has choked a guy looking for. It's a sizable sum. I'm not going to say that it's not, but it is nowhere near the scale of debt that this servant had racked up in his life that had forgiveness. The servant either forgot about the implications that forgiveness had from the king, or he didn't fully understand those things, and he acted like a fool. The king's expectation would have been for him to be as forgiving as he was. And the same is true for you and I. Our king has an expectation that we would be as forgiving as he was to us. We have to demonstrate the kind of forgiveness that we have received in our own lives, in our interactions with other people. And so the third thing that we want to pull out of this parable is that forgiveness involves the releasing the power and control that someone has on you, but it isn't blind in setting up boundaries. So here's a question for you. We're going to scale this debt to not be $5 because that's unbelievable. If somebody owed you $20,000, would you be concerned about getting that back? Just raise your hands. Would you be concerned with getting $20,000? Of course you would. I would be, right? What kind of stress would that put in your life to know that somebody owed you $20,000 and had an inability to pay it back to you? Do you think you would be thinking about that debt that that guy owed you? You would. Do you think you would be as stressed about that debt as the person who's trying to pay it back? You probably bet that you could be that way. And so when you multiply that number to $5 billion, Do you not think the king knows that this man owes him money? Yes. Do you not think that this man thinks about the fact that this man owes him money? Absolutely. That's why he's in front of him in that day. And so understand this, okay? Forgiveness is not a one-way street with all the benefit going to the person that receives the reprieve from their debt. It is a two-way street in forgiveness. It is a two-way street in forgiveness. And I would even say that the bigger beneficiary in the deal is the one that gave the forgiveness. Corey Timboom is somebody that we have talked about a lot on this stage. She is an amazing woman. She's a dear saint. And she says this about forgiveness. She says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. 
To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. That's bulletin board material right there. That's like mere glass material. Write that down. That is a great and profound word in the area of forgiveness. Forgiveness is as much about the person that is releasing the power and control an individual had in their life because of the wrong that they had harmed them than it is the person getting the debt relieved. And there are numbers, if not scores, of you in this room who have, through the hands of other people, been hurt in tragic ways that have marked and shaped your life. And as we hold on to that pain, and as we are constantly reminded of that story without forgiveness, those people still assert a type of bondage in our lives, a control and a power in our lives that robs us of the joy and contentment and passion in life. They rob us of the fullness of life that there is to offer. And so in true forgiveness that comes from the heart, we lay down our right for resentment, judgment, and revenge, and we pick up a posture of prayer and grace towards them. And in that process, we release ourselves from the bondage of control and power that they had in our life. We become free to that. And so notice how this king releases the servant. There's no conditions on this, no strings attached, just freely lets him go back to his role in life. But because of the servant's unwillingness to forgive, the servant crosses a boundary with this king. He crosses a boundary. The king wasn't looking for this man to fail. He did not send a coalition of people to micromanage his life or to watch him. But when the servants, his peers, notice it, who did they, they report it back to the master. He wasn't trying to find failing in this man. And when they report it back to him, the king took action. Forgiveness was a boundary that the king had for this. And so let this be a reminder for us in, in forgiveness. Inside the walls of true forgiveness, where we, we can pick up that posture of grace and love and, and, and prayer for that individual, it doesn't mean that we're not cognitive of setting healthy boundaries in our lives that would prevent us from being hurt again. There is some wisdom in doing those things. I, I have people in my life that have hurt me. It's not many. And I forgive them. I love them. But I, I won't operate today in the same manner with them as I did before. It's not because I don't like them. It's just because I'm putting wise boundaries in my life to protect myself and my family. Some of us, that may look different. You know, maybe we've had somebody who has physically abused us or mentally abused us or verbally abused us, and maybe they just don't get to spend much time with us or at all. You can still forgive people and release them and make wise decisions and boundaries. So just to clarify this, because I think this is really important, is forgiveness is as much about the person giving it and the, the, the bondage that we are released because of the control and the power that those people who have hurt us have in our life to rob us of the fullness of life. But it also isn't dumb in not setting up good boundaries that would protect us. And so the fourth thing that I want to pull into this from the parable is, is that human forgiveness is crucial for divine mercy. Human forgiveness is crucial for divine mercy. At the end of this parable, the king has wrath against his servant for his unforgiveness. He throws him in jail, 
until he can pay the debt, and we already know that that debt cannot be paid. The wrath that the king has is not based upon the servant's debt. It's not based upon how much he owes. It is based upon his unforgiveness. And at the end of the parable, Jesus says these words to his disciples, and he says them to us. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Those are tough words from Jesus. Like those are hard words. But like we trust that God knows what's best for his creation. As a Christian, there is an expectation that we forgive each other. That even if that giving forgiveness is hard, even if forgiving somebody takes us a long process to get get there, there is a direct link between a heart that has been changed by the gospel and forgiveness towards others. A transformed heart is a changed life that offers the same kind of mercy and grace and forgiveness that we have received on the cross. A heart that does not display that in their life does not fully understand the forgiveness of God or has not ever really ever experienced it. And do not let the fact that this servant goes, that he's punished because of his unforgiveness go unnoticed. This isn't easy to teach, right? These are hard truths that Jesus is saying here. Because if the king is Jesus and we are the servant, what this passage would say to us is there is a consequence for us in our unforgiveness. If this parable is talking about a jail, what that means for us is an eternal separation from the Father in a word that we call hell. Matthew 6 Verse 15 says, But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And look, this is hard. But understand that forgiveness is not just a noble idea that God has given us. He has commanded us to forgive. We are to forgive as much as we have been forgiven in life by Him. And it's not because God wants to control us. Forgiveness is in place because God would want to offer us the most flourishing in life. And you aren't flourishing if you are allowing somebody to assert power and control in your life because of what they have done to you. That is not a flourishing in life. That is a bondage in life. Christ has more for us than that. And that's why he is so stern in this area of forgiveness. Walk in this area so that you can flourish. Don't let people have control over you. Give it as I have given to you. And so let's take some time here just to recap a few of these things that we have pulled out of this parable. Number one is that we have to let our hearts and minds see the same brokenness that plagues us in the people that we interact with. We give them grace. We give them truth. They're not contradictory to each other. The second thing is there's an expectation that we demonstrate the forgiveness that we have received in our own lives. Do you know how much you have been forgiven for? Like we have a debt that we could not pay. We have been forgiven much and we are called to forgive others in the same way. Forgiveness is much about releasing, the, is, it involves releasing the power and control that someone has in you, but it isn't blind in setting up boundaries. And the last one was that human forgiveness is crucial for divine mercy. 
And so as we conclude this time in this parable today on this subject of forgiveness, I think that it would be wise for us to come together and celebrate God's paying of our debt, his forgiveness for us in a time that we call communion. We remember the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. We remember today the forgiveness that Christ has offered us. And as you focus on God's forgiveness and what he has done for you, might it move in your heart in a way that you might release somebody from their debt, that you would allow yourself to be released from the tyranny of bondage, of control and power that somebody has in your life. In your bulletins, I have put a prayer of forgiveness. There's a blank space in there. And I would just invite you guys over the next week, month, year, to put whoever you need to put in that spot, whether it's a person or an individual's a group, but to put that person in there and to pray that prayer once, twice, a hundred times that you would seek God's help in forgiving this person, not just for them, but for us as well. And so just to remind everybody as we enter into this time of communion, what we're doing, communion is here to remind us through the bread of the broken body that Christ had on the cross for us and the shed blood that covers our sin. It represents the fact that he has restored us into a right relationship with him. And we get to gather around as a family of Christ and celebrate the goodness of our God. The fact that he paid a debt that we could not pay. And so with that, understand this. Check yourselves in this. Take some time here to confess your heart to God. Talk to God. Get yourself right with God. And if that means for you in this room confessing your sins and accepting Christ as your Savior for the first time, then do that and join us at the table. But we also want to remind everybody that communion is a holy element, and it is for true believers in Christ, those who have confessed with their mouth and believe in their heart and trust in Christ. And so if you're a part of that family, join us. But listen, if you're in here today and you have not, you're not a, a believer in this stuff, you're just checking it out, look, I love that you're here. We love that you're seeking and searching. Please know that. But understand that this is for the family of God. So it's okay not to partake, to just sit back and pray and think and so I'm going to pray, and the band is going to come out. Feel free to come up here to the tables whenever you're ready, but only if you're ready. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you today, and we just lay before you all the areas of unforgiveness in our life. And we pray through your power that you would help us to walk in a reality of forgiveness as we embrace these principles out of this parable. Lord, will you help us to experience the kind of freedom that you would have for us, the flourishing of life that you would have for us as we release the power and control that somebody has in our lives. Lord, will you move in our hearts during this communion that we might admit our shortcomings and our sins to you, Lord, and then celebrate and rejoice in your sacrifice on the cross. Father, we love you and thank you for all that you do for us and everything that you have given us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who did for us what we could not. Amen.